DJ PK, and we are joined now by Christian Capel. He covers the Washington Huskies for the Athletic, part of our spring football tour as we go up and down the local team's roster or uh, schedules. Christian, good morning. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. Well, coming up with a list of questions about the Washington Huskies is easy. you got to start right at the top. College football coaches are the CEO, the face of the program. They stay while players come and go. And Washington had one of the most recognizable faces in college football. Chris Peterson, with all the success at Boise State and then the two conference titles at the, in the Pac-12 at Washington, he's out. Jimmy Lake is in. How does this change Washington football? Well, I think that the sort of the foundation of the program will look largely the same. I mean, Chris Peterson's big thing that that they sold recruits on was you know built for life, and they're keeping that. They're still calling it that. You know, I'm sure they'll still bring in the the speakers on on Wednesdays to talk to guys about you know all kinds of topics that aren't related to football. And and I know that um, the culture that Chris Peterson established there, as far as developing guys for their life after football and all those sort of things, was something that. Jimmy Lake was really drawn to, and I don't think he wants to change much about that. Um, but, you know, I, I think he, he has his own idea of what the offense should look like, obviously made a change at coordinator and, and brought in John Donovan this offseason. This would have been his first spring installing that offense. Um, and, you know, uh, the, the defense, he's he's had a big hand in for the last six years, so I wouldn't expect a whole lot to change there. But um, it, he'll, he'll put his own spin on things. You know, that was kind of what was going to be so interesting about this spring. Obviously, they have a lot of position battles, and they would have been starting a quarterback competition and, and trying to figure some things out, a receiver, an inside linebacker, and they'd have three new offensive line starters. But I was interested to just kind of see, okay, you know, what, is, what are their practices going to look like? Is this going to look like a Chris Peterson practice? You know, is Jimmy Lake still going to be working with the defensive backs? Is he going to be spending more time with the offense? Is he going to kind of be bouncing all around the different position groups? So um, we kind of missed out on our chance to see sort of how things are, are going to begin to change. Uh, you speak of Donovan. I think he's coming in with a pro-style offense, as I understand, and obviously there's losing quarterback. Three guys uh, in the battle for starting quarterback. But I'm wondering – is there some kind of state law that the starting quarterback for Washington has to be named Jake or Jacob? Well, then, yeah, Dylan Morris and, and Ethan Garber's better hope not, right? <laughs> yeah, like they're only they're down to one now. So with Jacob Eason going pro, they've they've only got one Jacob left. So and he's I you know if, if you were handicapping it, um, he probably would be the the slight betting favorite right now just because he spent last year as a backup and. He is the oldest guy, although with a new system coming in, maybe that levels the playing field a little bit. And I think people expect um, Dylan Morris, the redshirt freshman, to, to be right there. Uh, people have said a lot of good things about him since he got to campus last year. I think he had a really strong redshirt season, both on the scout team and, and from what we were able to see in fall camp, even you know, getting a handful of reps here and there. He looked like the kind of guy who would function well within a pro-style offense. And then you know, Ethan Garber's that's just uh, another spring spring storyline that they got bumped back because he was gonna he you know he is enrolled he's still home in California taking uh, taking college classes just just at his parents' house online like like everybody else is right now but he would have been up in Seattle and and would have been the third guy in that quarterback competition so yeah whenever those guys are are able to practice and and get at it it really does feel like that competition is going to start out about as even as it possibly could. 
There were stories around the NFL draft that the Huskies kind of had a disappointing performance there because some of the guys, the the 40 times, weren't what people thought they were going to be and lack speed. Now, those guys are gone, so it doesn't really matter to Washington football going forward. Uh, But is there a lack of team speed up and down the roster, or is this just some one-offs testing for the NFL and it doesn't mean anything? Uh, I think that they're improving in that category. Um, it, it's it's interesting because, yeah, I mean, Savon Ahmed had the really shocking 40 time. I think people expected him to be in the in the 4-4 range. I know he'd been clocked you know, handheld at under 4-4 at their team combine last spring. And if you watch him play, I think, you know, he, he definitely looks like a guy who plays a lot faster than what his 40 time reads. So that was, I think, kind of a, a head scratcher for a lot of people, but um, yeah, I, I think the bigger issue, I don't know if it's just straight team speed, but they've kind of lacked big-time playmakers at the offensive skill position. I mean, obviously, everybody knows about Miles Gaskin, and, and he had a great career, and he was super reliable and consistent. But, you know, since John Ross and Dante Pettis moved on, um, they've they've just kind of been okay at receiver, and they've kind of lacked that, you know, that big body or that real electric, you know, speedster who can take the top off a of defense. I think they've recruited um, a few guys who can sort of fit that mold. I think obviously Puka Nakua showed to be that kind of guy last year who you know is six two and can go up and win a fifty fifty ball and he's competitive and he's strong and he's just the kind of guy who's going to go up and make plays and score touchdowns for you. They're adding a couple freshmen um, in the twenty twenty class, Jalen McMillan and, and Romo Dunze, who were two of the, the more highly thought of receivers out West in the 2020 class. So um, I think they've, they've upgraded, but um, again, still have a, a lot to prove in terms of just seeing those guys go and do it on a football field. How about at running back? You already mentioned Snockmed uh, taking off, uh, looking like it's going to be a, a two horse, uh, I don't know want to say battle, but a compliment maybe with uh, a McGrew and a Newton. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if, they have a 20 carry back necessarily. I mean, I think they have guys who can do that. I don't know if you're going to see a, a total, you know, hey, this is the clear cut number one, and then, you know, a couple guys are just going to kind of pick up the scraps behind that guy. I think Richard Newton could be that number one. Um, Sean McGrew, obviously, you kind of know what you've got there. He's a fifth year senior. He's been pretty steady. Whenever he's gotten opportunities, he's made the most of it. And they have a redshirt freshman named Cam Davis, um, who I think was kind of on the cusp of playing last year as a true freshman. They actually did get him into two games. Um, they gave him two carries against USC and then two carries in their bowl games. So I, I think they they really liked him and wanted to sort of you know get him going a little bit and see what he looked like carrying the ball in a, in a real college football game. Um, and so I, you know, I think they really like his potential. He was a, a big recruit for them two classes ago, um, four-star guy out of, out of California, so I, you know, I think that those three guys are probably your top three. Um, they've got a true freshman coming in named JV on Sunday from Waco, Texas, who is kind of similar to Richard Newton, and is just kind of that got that that violent, you know, real physical bruising style about him. So you know, maybe he's a guy who could win some carries too. I think they've got a, a solid top three right now. So we have seen the uh, the Utes chasing Washington forever, and they finally beat them. And a lot of it has to do with the Ute defense, and a lot of that has to do with the Ute defensive line being able to win their matchup most of the time. Is Washington going to have an elite defensive line to hang its hat on? Uh, I think it's going to be better. And I thought it was pretty solid 
last year. Um, but now, you know, not only you've got Levi Onzerike and Josiah Bronson both back as, as seniors, and those were their two primary starters on the interior last year. Um, but then they've got a, a whole lot of talent in the, the 2018 and 2019 classes who are all a year older. Um, the guys like Tuli Latuli Nasanoa and Taki Taimani um, from Salt Lake City East High School, uh, who both played last year as redshirt freshmen, kind of got their feet wet. You, you know, sort of flashed. You could see the potential there. You could see them being, you know, really tough run stuffing type guys in the middle of that D line. I think they're going to play a lot more this year. Um, they signed three four-star D tackles in the 2019 class who all were able to redshirt last year, but played a little bit, you know, within the four game limit, like Fatui Tuatele, Jacob Bandis, uh, Sama Bahama. And then uh, their, their fourth guy they signed in that class, Noah and Galu. I think, you know, any four of those guys could contribute. So it's an interesting combination of, you know, the, the two seniors who have played a ton and, and you kind of, you know what, what to expect from them. And then I think they'll be able to experiment with about you know six or, or seven guys behind them and try to figure out what the, the best combinations are going to be at those two inside spots. Well, I've always thought that Washington has been a school that has produced a number of defensive backs. The secondary seems to be always good with all sorts of athletes all over the place. So you just spoke on the defensive line there. You know, I'm pretty solid. I'm wondering if the biggest question marks is a linebacker. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. And it's particularly the two inside linebacker spots. You know, the, the outside linebacker in their, in their defense is, you know, it depends on their personnel, but usually is, is essentially a defensive end. And I think they feel pretty good about Joe Tryon and Ryan Bowman at those two spots. And a guy like Layatu Latu, who, who looked like a, a pretty promising player as a true freshman and got a couple other guys who will compete for time. But those two inside linebacker spots were really the, Sort of the weakness of their defense last year. I mean, they, they weren't as tough against the run as they wanted to be. Now they still, you know, were a national top 20 scoring defense when all was said and done. They, they gave up less than 20 points a game. You know, most of their issues last year when they lost were, were offensive. But um, I think they do expect to be better there. Um, Edifuan Ulafoshio was a, a guy who walked on for them initially out of Bishop Gorman High School. Um, everybody loved him from the day you got to campus. You played some on special teams as a, as a true freshman. Wound up starting three games at linebacker last year, like the last three games of the season, and um, had a, a big game against Oregon State and, and looked really good in the bowl game and earned a scholarship in the offseason. So I, I think he's a guy that people expect to you know, take that next step and, and maybe be a full-time starter there. Obviously, uh, a handful of younger guys alongside him, you know, Jackson Sermon and MJ Tafisi, um, who will both be uh, both be sophomores? Tafisi sounds like he'll be 100%. He had a pretty scary uh, stinger injury last year that ended his season. But whenever they hit the practice field next, I think they expect to have him be full go. So I think those two guys are probably going to get first crack at, at competing for that other job. But they also signed four guys uh, at inside linebacker who redshirted last year, and you know some some who I think have gotten bigger and, and they feel pretty good about going forward. So. Um, you know, not a lot established there. And those three starts that Ulafoshio had last year are the only three starts they have returning at inside linebacker. So, um, assuming that you know he he kind of carries on and and locks down one of those spots, yeah, you're going to see kind of like D line six or seven guys competing for that other one. 
Christian Cable covers the Washington Huskies for the Athletic. You already referenced uh, some of the Utah guys on the roster. I think there's four. There's at least one assistant coach with ties to the state of Utah who coached at Utah State. Should we just assume the Huskies are going to be back here recruiting nonstop? Oh, yeah. There's there's no doubt. Um, and they just uh, just got a commitment uh, over the weekend from uh, Void Tunufi, another D lineman out of uh, Salt Lake City Beast High School. So, yeah, that's uh, that's been a, a very positive recruiting ground for them. He met Ty Jones and Puka Nakua at receiver, um, Taki Taimani on the D line, um, MJ Tufisi's, I believe, from West Jordan. So, um, yeah, it's they kind of see their recruiting footprint as the the whole West Coast. You know, it don't go into Idaho and Wyoming and Montana as much, but when there's a guy there who's a Pac-12 caliber player, they they absolutely will recruit him. So, and you you know Utah has been sort of right there as a, a state that has produced it seems like at least one or two guys for them in each of the past few classes. So remember when Bronco Mendenhall got elevated from defensive coordinator to head coach at BYU? He acknowledged that he didn't even know most of the names of the guys on offense. Now, he had only been there a couple of years. Lake has been around for a while. How was that transition going to be from him, for him going from the coordinator to head coach as far as what he's going to have knowledge-wise and influence-wise over the offense? Well, I, I think it, it might be made smoother in some ways just by the fact that he, he went out and handpicked his own offensive coordinator. Um, and, and, you know, Jimmy Lake is a guy who – places an extremely high value on NFL experience. He coached in the NFL as an assistant uh, with Tampa Bay and with Detroit, spent time with Rondé Barber in Tampa Bay, um, and you know, really feels like any coach who has gone from the college level to the NFL level and returns to college is coming back to college with a much wider knowledge base. And I think that's what he saw in John Donovan. And, you know, he kind of, Jimmy Lake described the offense that he wanted before they ever had a coordinator, before they even made a change at coordinator. He said he wanted them to be bruising, physical. It would probably be pro style. And it's pretty easy to imagine a quarterback under center a little more often, um, still utilizing multiple tight ends like they have the past few years. And then, you know, build a, a play action or vertical passing game off of that. I think that's what a lot of people expect. But, you know, he went out and found an offensive coordinator with that vision in mind, knowing what he wanted it to look like. Obviously, he liked what John Donovan had to say. Um, I, I think that, you know, Lake also describes himself as kind of an X's and O's junkie. He's really into football strategy. Um, I, I think he probably feels like he's got something he can add on the offensive side of the ball. I, I would still expect him to be pretty heavily involved in defensive game planning, but um, he's a he, he's a pretty smart guy with diverse interests within the game of football. And um, you know, I, I think he's already pretty familiar with the the talent and the ability they have offensively, what their strengths and what their weaknesses have been. And um, I would expect his touches to to show up on that side of the ball as well. Christian Capel joining us, covers the Huskies for The Athletic. I was reading some of the stuff you've written, and you got questions about realignment. There's one that never goes away. Would Washington ever leave Washington State and bolt to the Big 12 if USC and Oregon were? How realistic is that, and how much is that as, uh, you know, some hardcore fan in his basement dreaming up nightmare scenarios, hacking away (laughs) at the computer at 2 in the morning? Well, I think it started when... USC's new athletic director, Mike Bond, basically said in an interview that, hey, look, we're not 
and I don't want to misquote him, but the, the gist of it was, hey, you know, we're not thinking about realignment, but anything's on the table. And, you know, I think that any Pac-12 member school right now is looking around and seeing what the, the media deals look like at the other Power Five conferences and the fact that Michigan State was able to just hire Colorado's head coach away because they could pay him a ridiculous amount of money per year that, that Colorado could never match. And that's not even one of the premier football programs in that conference, in the Big Ten. So the revenue gap is, I think, really concerning, and that's driving a lot of the conversation around, you know, hey, if, if you know, maybe it's a Big 12, maybe it's another league, but if, if another power conference league ever did expand and they wanted USC and UCLA and Oregon and Washington, which I think would be viewed as sort of the foremost high-profile brands in the league right now. You know, would Washington be able be willing to leave, you know, a hundred years of tradition behind, leave their primary rival behind in another league just to, you know, basically get a bigger paycheck and a better crack of the national championship somewhere else? Obviously, I mean, that, that's such a big question and, and such a, a hypothetical. It's hard to even get your head around all the factors and everything they'd have to take into consideration. But, um, you know, I think my response was basically, hey, it, it would it would depend on what your values are as a university. You know, do you value sort of being a steward of, of West Coast football and, and the role you've played since the Pacific Coast Conference was formed all the way back in 1916 and being a charter member and, and you know, being a part of a league that, that – you're in with a bunch of other peers who are research institutions like yourself, or is it just about giving your football team the very best chance of winning national championship every year and enriching your athletic department? And if that's your goal, and if you feel like, hey, you know what, we're going to get left behind if we stay in the Pac-12, if, if especially if USC and UCLA and Oregon leave and we stay back in this conference, now we've lost all of our all of our, you know, big brands and, and going to have even less national profile and going to be even further behind in terms of um, revenue generated by media deals, you know, it's, it's something to take into consideration. But I think, you know, especially with the current circumstances and, um, you know, what the, the coronavirus and the shutdown and everything is, is going to do to athletic department budgets, um, I think those discussions are, are going to be a ways off if they ever happen at all. Christian, we appreciate you taking a few minutes and coming on the air with us. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you.